0: Last week, we left off in the Gospel of Luke, kind of looking at a a legalistic issue. And in the midst of that legalistic issue, Jesus made mention of a financial practice that he commended. And if you're new with us this morning or you weren't here last week, you didn't get the public service announcement, this is the thing we do every year at this season. We take two weeks at this season, and just talk about our relationship to money and and I think that 's important for us uh, because Jesus talked a lot about money. If you think about it, he speaks thirty nine parables, and eleven of them either have as an object lesson or a part of the teaching something about finances or resources. Two thousand verses in the scripture speak about our relationship to money, and so I think it 's important for us to be able to do that. I wanna look back at where we stopped last week in Luke chapter 11. You don't need to turn there. I'd actually prefer if you turn to 1 Timothy chapter six because that's going to be our text eventually. But Luke chapter 11 and verse 42, let me remind you what was happening. But woe to you Pharisees, you give a 10th of mint, rue, and every kind of herb, and you bypass justice and love for God. These things you should have done without neglecting the others. What Jesus was saying is it was important that they were tithing what they had from their gardens and different things like that. And he says, you are doing one thing and neglecting another thing, and we're not supposed to be doing that. We, we do them both. And as I think about today, there, there's a couple of things that kind of popped in my mind in, in regards to relationships. I think there are three relationships that every person has to get 100% right in their life. The first relationship that you have to get right in your life is your relationship to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible speaks about it as as the most important thing that we would do. And and the good news is, is that you can make that decision today. And so while we're talking about finances, if, if you have your financial house in order, but you don't have your relationship to God in order, it doesn't matter because your eternity is way more important than your checkbook, way more important. The Bible says that we're, we're all separated from God. Isaiah 59.2 says sin separates us from God. And that Jesus came and lived a sinless life for us, that he died on the cross for us and paid the penalty for our sins. And the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe God, raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And that's the most important decision that we could ever make because what we're talking about here today is very temporary and that relationship goes on forever. So if you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, my prayer is that today you would give your life to Christ and you would consider the claims of Christ of being the Lord and savior of the world because he is. The second most important relationship that you might ever make in your life, and if you're in the room, we got our children in the room with us, a lot of them today, this is, this is very important. Don't miss this, it's who you marry. As a pastor now for many years, I meet a lot of married people, obviously, and here's what I've discovered. There's no such thing as a neutral marriage. It's either your spouse is an asset to you or a liability to you. There's no such thing as a neutral marriage. They're either helping you pursue all that God has for you or they're like like a boat anchor that's dragging you down from what God has what's best. And if we marry outside of God's plan for our lives, Particularly if we marry someone, we're a Christian, we marry outside of the faith. The scripture warns us not to do that. The ramifications for that last for a long time. And so I want to encourage you to think about dating and marrying the right way. Do it God's way. Find out what he says about it in the scripture. That's a sermon for another time. But outside of your relationship to Christ, what determines so much of your life here on earth is whether you marry and if you marry, whom you marry. The third relationship that is really important for us is our topic today, it's our relationship to money. I think it's important because for us as Christians, it's not just earning money and managing money, which is important for everybody in the world, but for us as Christians, there's a moral ethic attached to money that a lot of people don't have to worry about, but we do because the scripture speaks about it so much. And so I wanna start with just kind of what the baseline understanding of this is because if we miss this kind of overarching view, then we're never going to get the rest of what we're talking about right today. Let let me read for you on the screen, Psalm 24, number one. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Now they're gonna leave that up for a second. I want you to just dwell on this for a second with me. God owns everything. There's nothing that God doesn't own. He owns it. everything. He owns me. He owns you. He owns the stuff that's in your house, the stuff that's in my house, the stuff that's outside. I mean, everything in this world is his made by him and for him. And so if we understand that, then that's the, the launching point for biblical stewardship of the resources that God gives us. If we don't understand this, we might as well fold the Bible up and go home, folks. This is the starting point. But today from 1 Timothy we're going to see what's really, I think, a successful formula with some dangerous detours. Now, I gotta be honest with you. When I was thinking about this a few weeks back, as I normally do, I was thinking about Malachi 3.10, which is kind of the baseline for biblical giving, how God gives it to us, but I I was surprised that the Lord led me to this verse and this passage of scripture, but I think it's important for us today. Paul's writing to a young man named Timothy. And we're going to be in chapter six today of 1 Timothy. As he writes to Timothy, Timothy's been put in charge of a church, and he's in charge with raising up the leadership of that church. And as Paul closes out this first letter, he says something that I think is kind of interesting, and it's actually things that go hand in hand that we often don't think they go hand in hand, but they really do. In 1 Timothy chapter six, your Bible might have this heading too. It says, false doctrine and human greed. And false doctrine and human greed go absolutely hand in hand. Maybe you've heard uh, this idea that we need to watch out for bad teaching. And if we're watching out for bad teaching and we find it, a lot of times we see that it has greed attached to it. They absolutely go hand in hand. Maybe you've heard of something called the prosperity gospel. If you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never be sick. That's bad news if you're sick today you must have done something really bad. But that doesn't logically work out, does it? Because one day I'm gonna get sick, you're gonna get sick and we're going home to glory. What does that mean? how do we differentiate those things? If you're in the prosperity gospel, God will give you everything you ever wanted, you're just gonna be blessed and we equate blessing with finances. That short changes the word blessing so much Blessing is so much more than finances. What about the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus the Lord? They don't matter? Is blessing only what our bank account says? Is blessing only related to money? Certainly not. We start to take things with bad teaching. And bad teaching that leads to greed gets us in trouble. I I, I literally once heard a preacher say, if you're a Christian, you won't drive a used car. Because Jesus didn't ride a used donkey. Don't you ride a used car? One is prophecy, one is crazy. There's nothing wrong with having a new car. Whatever. But is that a biblical principle that we can extract from the scriptures? That's bad teaching, bad teaching greed. They go hand in hand. Watch out for it is what he's saying. So let's read verse six as he gets into this. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. There's your formula. The formula is godliness plus contentment equals something. It equals great gain. And this is the formula for success in our lives. And I want you to notice where it starts because it probably doesn't start with how you talk about success in your family if you're not careful you got to go to college. How you go to college and what you do at college and where you're at college. And these grades you're making, all this stuff. That's the most important thing. Is it? Or is godliness? Godliness with contentment equals great gain. Godliness. This word means sincere practice of our faith with appropriate beliefs about God. That keeps us from bad teaching, doesn't it? False doctrine. That's why we teach you guys verse by verse through the scriptures week after week so that you get the whole counsel of the word of God. We don't wanna just pick something out and build a whole doctrine around it. It's dangerous for us to do that. So a sincere practice of our faith with appropriate beliefs about God leads to godliness. That's what it means. And that's really important. It's not that being rich and godly are incompatible. That's, that's not what we're saying. You can be rich and godly. You can be poor and godly. You can be middle class and godly. All along that spectrum, the point is godliness is the foundation for us. I think many times, though, we believe that godliness is like a manipulation thing that makes God give us what we want. Well, I've been serving you, I've done the right things. That's not what he says godliness plus something else godliness is it so it's the sincere practice of appropriate release and that's just rooted in the scripture so if you want to have appropriate beliefs about god where where do you find those from you find them in the scripture and you begin to read the whole counsel of the word of god that the holy spirit put that in your life and what comes out of that is incredible but you can be godly and struggle with contentment can't you so you could have part one But part two is missing. And and contentment, God knows that I struggle with it. It's hard sometimes, isn't it? Because the eye is never full of seeing. I mean, there's always something else to see. There's always something new to buy. There's always something that, that, that comes on the horizon. But he says contentment, godliness plus contentment. Now, contentment is satisfaction in circumstances. Paul talks about that in Philippians, remember? I've learned how to be content when I have a lot. I've learned how to be content when I have just a little bit. And he says that contentment in circumstances is the satisfaction that God is taking care of those things. Now this is hard, because the American dream runs right up against this. Don't be content with what you have, get something better. Don't be content with that, get something more. So we want more toys, More houses, more cars, more at work, more opportunities, more and better job growth for me to get more stuff so that I can do what I want to do. There's nothing wrong with achievement. This isn't a sermon uh, about not working hard because guess what the scripture says? Work as unto the Lord. How do you think you would work if God was watching and he was your boss? You'd work. You'd get after it. You'd wanna give your best self to that task. And so that's a good thing when we do that. But contentment in our circumstances means that we're content that God is working in our lives and God knows exactly where we are. Sometimes the reason we're not advancing into something that we want is because the timing isn't right. Are you content? Sometimes there's someone who's more qualified at work than you. Are you content? Sometimes you're not ready. That hurts, doesn't it? Are you content? Sometimes your character needs to be developed first. Are you content to be where you're at and let God do these things? These two character traits mixed together, godliness and contentment leads to great gain. It's a formula that I don't think we think about enough. The American way runs against this. And now Paul says, here's why. Because the start of your life is is just like the end. Notice what he says in verse seven and eight. He says, we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. There aren't many things in your life where the process of beginning something is exactly like the end. Think about that for a second. There's not many things where the process where you begin and you work through a process is exactly like the end. Imagine if I said to you, hey, I heard about this new workout system and it promises that if you work hard for six months, you'll be exactly like you were when you started. That doesn't sell, does it? It doesn't make sense, right? I mean, nobody does that. Here's a diet, you eat all you want and you'll be just like you were. Well, that sounds pretty good, you know? It doesn't work. But think about what he's saying. When you came into life, you were totally dependent on someone else. You had no ability to earn, to create, to make things. You you couldn't do it. And when we get to the end of our lives, isn't it often the same? We lose the ability that we once had to earn and create. We become dependent on other people. We came in with nothing and we leave with nothing. And that speaks to the very transitory nature of everything that we spend our time doing here on this earth. Don't miss that. Everything is like that. Your good friend, Dr. David Nelms, who's preached here many times, he's told the story from this pulpit many times, writing with his mentor. Man, pastor, that is a really nice car that guy's driving. It's all going to burn, son. Well, pastor, it is a nice car, but it won't be here in the end. It's all going to burn. All this stuff we fix our eyes on, it's not going with us is the point. We've been given an inheritance. We've got the down payment of the Holy Spirit, and we know that we're going to receive something imperishable, non-corruptible when we get home in glory. A couple of weeks ago, Kathy and I went to an estate sale. She wanted to see if they had a chair. Picked up a chair. It was great. She said, hey, "I'm going to look around at a couple other things." Yeah, it's fine. I'm moseying around the house too. And the longer I walked around that house, the sadder I got. Do you know why? It's a beautiful home, perfectly ordered. It was clean and all this kind of stuff. And I guess the people had passed away. They, none of their family was there. It was just a company running the estate sale. And there's just a bunch of vultures in there taking stuff out. And everybody's so happy to get all that stuff. And I thought, these people worked their whole lives for this. And at the end of the day, that, that $500 item, they're happy to get $20 for it. And somebody's walking off going, I got a deal. This is great. All that stuff is going to be somebody else's. Everything. And so it speaks to what we have. Now, when we talk about the apostles saying, if we have food and clothing, we should be content. I'm grateful that you have clothing and food, aren't you? It's the basis of what we need. Now, I mean, when I think about it this morning, I've got what I need because I got up and I put on clothes and I had breakfast. He said that, that, that ought to make me content. If I have what I need, I should be content. Content now, sometimes you need to go to the store and get some paint. Sometimes you need a new tool once in a while, a piece of clothing wears out, you need to get it, you need a pair of shoes, you need to get some those kinds of things. But you know as well as I do if you 've ever been through a financially kind of a challenging season, you can pare your life back to way less than you're living on. And make it. I mean, it's amazing how little you can live on and actually do just fine. Because when you get rid of all the kind of the trappings of this life that we all think we have to have, we really don't need that much. Maybe you found yourself, like I have, talking to friends or family saying, oh, I need that. I got to get that this week. It wasn't a need It's a want. We're going to come back to wants. There's nothing wrong with wants. There's nothing wrong with with having something nice. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is don't lose sight of the fact that all this stuff that we give our lives for is so transitory in nature, it won't even go with us to heaven. I mean, it's just here for a moment. And then the estate still comes and they pick all your stuff apart and they run off very happy. And none of it matters. Well, for us, the definition of stewardship, how we've described it before, biblical stewardship is open hands. Owners try to hold on to things. They they close their hands around things, but biblical stewards open their hands, understanding that everything is passing through their hands. This coat that I'm wearing will probably be somebody else's if I don't wear it out first. The house that I live in, I don't know how many people have lived in that thing since it was built in the 50s. It's been multiple families. It'll be somebody else's. Somebody else is going to do all these things. We're stewarding these things that God puts into our hands. We're not owners of the things. And that mindset changes everything and keeps us from the dangerous detours that he talks about that come in the next few verses. Look at verse 9 and 10. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Did you notice where he started? He started with a desire. It's a desire birthed down deep that I want to be rich and I wanna get there fast, and I need to accumulate this stuff. And Proverbs speaks to us and warns us against this as well. Proverbs 28, 20, be on the screen, says this, a faithful person will have many blessings, but one in a hurry to get rich will not go unpunished. Think about what it's saying there. Faithful leads to blessing. Hurry to get rich, it it gets you punished. And and here's why, it's a problem for us. It's this, this birthing deep down in our souls of a desire to be rich, and it leads to something, to temptation. Why is that a problem? Because Satan knows how much you and I love stuff. He knows how much we want things. And he knows that a divided heart is ruined because Jesus said it. In Matthew 6, in verse 24, Jesus speaks to this. And he says, you can't have two masters. You're not gonna serve God and mammon or stuff or money. You, you can't do it. A divided heart is a distracted heart that's no good to the master. And so he's saying to us here, Satan leads us into temptation, and if he can't have you, he just makes you ineffective. What happens when our mind's eye turn to other things and we begin to chase those things and begin to serve them? It's incompatible. We try, but we fail, and Satan loves to see us give it a go. He'd love for you to do that. And it says, not only is it temptation, but it's a trap. And that word there is a snare. You know what a snare is? It's You're walking through the forest and animals doing that and they catch their foot and they're, they're trapped. Or worse, they run through a snare that catches their neck. Full speed, right? And it cinches down before they can get out of it and you're stuck. He says, that's what it's like. You, you don't see it until it's too late. And then that leads to foolish and harmful desires foolish and harmful desires did you notice what it says plunge people that word that it's talking about there plunging people it's a picture of drowning plunging into the depths you ever heard anyone say i'm drowning in debt and while this isn't a sermon a about debt because certainly there are things that we go in debt for that are good things and, and, and but you've met people probably that they wanted more than they could handle they wanted more than they could and and they just debt 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 and then it ruined them they're drowning in it can't get out of it and it says this dangerous this dangerous detour leads to ruin and destruction it ruins us and will ultimately destroy us. The love of money is a dangerous detour because money is a, a great servant of the good in our lives. Money itself is not moral. It's not bad to have money or, or bad to not have money. That's not the point. That's not immoral. Money itself has no morality to it. It's the ethic we attach to it. That's what, that's what we have to have right. Because if we do, Money can be a servant of the good, but it makes a terrible master in your life. It's an awful master. Money's nice to spend, it's awesome to help people with. It can be game changing for people if we see ourselves as a steward. Now, here's the great thing about being a steward stewards have some say about how the money is spent because the master's entrusted it to them. That's for sure but they don't have final authority over the money. Do you see the difference? So we're gonna come back to that in a second. A steward has some say about it, but not final authority. So what do we do? How do we keep our minds set on a biblical ethic concerning money? First, have a biblical financial worldview. It's all God's. Everything that you have is God's, not yours. And those resources were entrusted to you and you get to use them for your needs and sometimes your wants, but you're not owners of those things so you don't have the final authority about where they go. You get to steward them. I want to go back for a second, if I could, because in verse three, the apostle said something in 1 Timothy. He said, if anyone teaches false doctrine and doesn't agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness. Stay away from me. He's saying, problem. Well, how do we know what to do? Well, well, Jesus gives us some help here because we started off this morning Jesus saying, you guys are tithing over here. That was 10% of everything that they had given to the, the house of God for the ministry that come out of the church. And Jesus says, you need to do that. That's a good thing then that's a great place for us to start. It's the baseline giving for the believer. Malachi 3.10 says this, bring all the tithes, tithe is 10% into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Thus says the Lord of hosts, see if I'll not throw open a window of heaven and pour out such a blessing you won't be able to receive. He says, test me in it. See if I won't do what I say, try me in this. So 10% is the baseline of our income. Now you may ask, well, who should tithe? Everyone your pastors tithe. We do it. Everyone, no one's exempt from that. We tithe on our income and dedicate it to the Lord's ministry. Well, you say, well, wait just a second, because isn't the tithe part of the old Testament law? Actually, I'm glad you asked that the tithe predates the law. So it existed long before there was a law and Jesus carried in the new Testament, Abraham tithed before there was a law. And then Jesus commends us to do it. So I think we're in safe territory saying that that's the baseline for believers. And why does God ask us to do that? Well, it keeps us dependent on Him. Looking to Him and and trusting that as I give this 10%, which it's all yours anyway, so why does God need my money? Guess what? He doesn't. And I got news for you. If He wants it, He can call you home to glory and you won't have it anyway. That's how that works. He doesn't need your money. He doesn't need my money. He already has it all. He's entrusted it to us. And so we begin with that baseline giving. Malachi says something interesting just before that verse. He says, don't rob God of what's actually his. Don't steal what's not yours. That money is not yours to direct, it's God's. He gave it to you and he commands us to do this. And that way we stay out of a situation where we're robbing God. And then we're exercising our faith and dependence on God to do what he says he will do. Jesus spoke about this in the Sermon on the Mount when he told everybody, don't be worried all the time about what you're going to eat, where you're going to live, what you're going to wear. And he uses this funny verse that as a kid, it, it just didn't make any sense to me. I had to grow up to see the meaning of it. Look at the lilies. They neither toil nor spin. And I was like, well, that's right. I've never seen a flower turn around. Not what he's talking about. Did you know that? He's talking about spinning yarn for clothes, right? He said, they're they're adorned. I've got them. They're taken care of. I will take care of you. And I say this to you every year at this time. So many of us profess Christ as Savior and Lord over our eternity, and yet we, we deny it by not trusting him with our finances. Something's wrong with that. I'll trust you to get me to heaven, but you can't help me on earth. What? Come on. That's illogical. You need to go back and see if you really trust him. Do you trust him? It's an act of faith. So we go back to this idea of living with open hands. So if I have a biblical worldview, it's all God's. I'm giving to the Lord the 10% that he requires. The next thing is for me to become a conduit for blessing. Open hands, remember things passed through my hands. I mean, this is a hard thing for us to imagine. What if God gave you something that is not for you? What if God gives you something that's for someone else? You know, the, the, the scripture teaches us in 1 John that we have to be careful about this. 1 John three seventeen says, don't look at a brother or sister in need and not give them anything to help them. Don't, don't, you don't have compassion on them. It proves that you don't love the Lord. Wait, my my love for the Lord, why would it be directed to how I'm compassionate towards other people? Because God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. It's a giving relationship. It's based in the gift. And so as God gives us opportunity, we have opportunity to be a conduit for blessing. And sometimes God gives us things that are not for us, they're for somebody else. And so as we think about that, let me ask you a few questions this morning. Are you praying about what you need? When you go to lunch today or you go to dinner tomorrow night out at one of these restaurants here in town, one of the greatest witnesses you can give is to bow your head and pray. Just like Jesus said, give us this day our daily bread. It's a dependence on God. Did you do it this morning as you ate your breakfast? Do you do it as a family? It's that thing, God, you know that we need these things. We're praying and depending on you, thank you for providing them today. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. Are you trusting him for what you need? It's a big question. Because if we're not careful, we start chasing dollars. And that is a dangerous detour that might have long-lasting effects, not just on you, but on your family as well when you start chasing dollars. So pray about what you need. Now, here's here's something that we've all gotta do. How about praying about what we want? God created this world. He created everything in it. This is not a sermon saying, don't take a vacation. I hope you take a vacation. Not a sermon saying, I hope you don't get a raise at work because you're gonna get a raise and then you're gonna tithe on it, bless the Lord. And we're all gonna be happy for you, right? I hope you get get some of the things that you want, but are you praying about those things? Wouldn't it be interesting if you started praying about things? Because sometimes we might spend money on a want and God says, you needed that for a need. I'd already given you that. If you'd have just asked me, I would tell you. So maybe maybe just try this. Lord, thanks for giving me our needs. We'd really like to take this vacation this year and and go see some friends and, and be able to do that. Can we get a green light on that, Lord? Is that that a good thing for our family? Is is that something that you would allow us to do? Do we sense you're leading in that? I mean, what a revolutionary idea that we would pray to the one who owns it all and ask him what he thinks about what we're doing with it. Lord, my car's wearing out. I'm praying for a car. God, you know that I need a car. This is a car that I've kind of had my heart set on. Is it good? Is it it what you're going to bring to my life? Is Is that okay? There's nothing wrong with having things that you want. I hope you get to enjoy those things. God didn't create all these things so that we could just look at them and pine away for them. That's not the purpose. But when those things become the objects of our lives, that is idolatry. So pray about those things. Sense what the Lord might be saying to you. Ask him to lead you and guide you, even in the smallest of things. And the funny thing is, I believe that he will. And it may save you the pain of going, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have taken that vacation because now my car is dead on the side of the road and I've got to buy a car. And God goes, yeah, if you'd asked me, I would have told you. Don't take the vacation. You're going to need it. Are you ever this way? Are you ever mad when God pre-gives you money for a need and then you spend it on the need? You know, like man, I saved up this $2,000 and now my transmission went out. I can't believe I have to spend on that. And God's going, what do you think I gave it to you for, man? Hello? Many times it's like, well, Lord, thank you. Thanks for letting me see that. Lord, thanks for providing. Thanks for, for leading us in this. And so what I want you to get today, the formula for success, godliness, contentment, great gain. The dangerous detour, ruin your life. The right relationship with money is crucial for a believer. So I want us to bow and pray. And we're going to spend just a few minutes asking the Lord to examine our relationship with money. Because if you're like me, this is hard. It's not as simple as I'd like it to be. Because I complicate it. The world complicates it. But I believe the Lord can reset our thoughts about this. I want you to ask the Lord right now, how am I doing? I believe he'll tell you. Is there anything in your life that has ascended to that idolatrous spot where it's just consuming you? Is there something upcoming that you need to pray about and ask the Lord for his wisdom and direction? Is there a need that you have? Father, as we think about these things, we want to be godly people. We wanna believe the right things and that comes against what the culture brings to us and the advertising machine that exists today with everything we see on the internet and social media that just makes us want to collect and grab and have more things we probably don't need. God, help us to know the difference between needs and wants. And God, we thank you that you have been so faithful to provide for us. Father, I'm praying for the person who's asking right now for you to meet a need in their life that you would. I'm also praying, Lord, that you would show us what's a want that we really don't need because we're gonna have a need that pops up that you've already provided for. God, let us be a conduit to bless people and be faithful stewards of everything you've entrusted to us. Father, for the person who might not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray for them today that they would come to put their faith in Christ. That's the most important decision. And Father, they'd build their lives around that. Lord, remind us that that's where our life in you started, was with Christ. Sound teaching, good doctrine, and build our lives out of it, Lord, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.